0: For it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2 Welcome to Grace Bond Ministries.
1: Oh died my soul to save my
0: To Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. I don't get to brag on Terrell a whole lot, but uh, (laughs) since I've been here, you know, I've been here almost three years uh, come February. Yeah, me and Terrell have uh, really grown close. I would say, you know, besides Allie, of course, that Terrell was my best friend. (laughs) Uh, Best friend in the area. (laughs) Confined to this 10 mileage plan. Uh, Terrell is definitely my best friend now. We have a lot of fun together. and uh, We have the same interests and all kinds of things. And he's helped me out so much. He's right, just going out doing evangelism with me. just helping whatever I need. He just always says, yeah, I'll do it uh, with that tone, too. <laughs> so I'm just really appreciative of Terrell and everything he's done, all the work he's done. I'm uh, just excited to see what's going to happen in Terrell's future. This morning... We're going to jump back into Ruth, which last Sunday, uh, we didn't really get too much into Ruth. We went back and looked at Judging. Uh, but we're in Ruth, and we're going to go verse by verse. And we only have we have five verses today, and I only have about 30 minutes. So if y'all been to my Wednesday night service, y'all know how long I can stay on five verses. Uh, just talking about them and uh, discussing them and stuff like that. So, uh, But we're back to this sermon series. We're going to go through Ruth. We're going to look verse by verse by verse and uh, just talk about the verses, what they mean, how they play in the story, uh, some of the historical context and things like that as we go through it. And last week, like I said, we talked about the time of the Judges. It was the beginning of Ruth, it says during the time of the Judges, which is very, basically this very dark spiritual history of Israel. We'll get to more of that here in a second. And uh, we did that because the story of Ruth happened somewhere during the time of the Judges. Because that's what we did last week. And now we're getting to the beginning of Ruth. And, uh, you know, Ruth is a, Ruth's a very interesting book, very interesting story about redemption and, uh, and about faith, all kinds of things, love. Uh, and, you know, the, of course, the first thing you think when you come to a book was, who, okay, who wrote the book? And we actually don't know who the author was. But the, uh, the Jewish people in the Talmud, Talmud was an additional book uh, between the Mishnah, I forget what the other one's called, but these two books combined together, which is basically oral laws for the Jewish people. But they attributed this book to Samuel, so Samuel might be a possible author, but we're really not sure. But as we go through this book, we're going <clears> to <throat> look at this main theme of always having faith in God, like I said last week, you know, there's multiple different themes, there's multiple different applications you can get out of a text. You know, you can take this part of the text, you take this part of the text, you could get multiple different applications out of the whole story. So there's different avenues that you can go with this. Now, there is only one meaning, there's only one historical significance, there's only one way it points to Jesus. But there are multiple different ap- practical applications that we can look at. And what we're going to look at as we go through Ruth is always having faith in God. And Ruth 1, we kind of see uh, when, when we have nothing, when we have nothing, we need to have faith in God. Ruth 2 and 3 start to get to where uh, they start getting a few things and things start happening for them, stuff like that. Not, they're not totally uh, where they need to be, but these things start happening. God slowly begins to provide. And so we're going to talk about that when we get to Ruth 2 and 3 of having faith in God when things start looking positive, at least. And then in Ruth 4, is having faith in God when everything seems perfect. So today we're going to look at Ruth 1, verses 1 through 5. Let me go ahead and read that, and I open opens up in prayer. It says, During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites. From Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives, one was named Warpah, the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malon and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your perfect word that we can just hold in our hands, we can speak, we can learn from, we can, it can be used to guide our lives, Lord. We just thank you for this holy word. And God, let's pray this morning as we look at the beginning of this book that you just speak to us, speak to us. Help us to become better Christians day by day by showing us your word, showing us its meaning. And God, this morning I just pray that you give me the words to speak to accomplish your purpose. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So now let's go back through here and look at all five of these verses, just one by one. Let's just go back and look for them. So, uh, look at them. So verse 1, it says, during the time of the judges. Again, the time of the judges was a very dark time of Israel's history, dark spiritually. It's this constant process of idolatry. Well, it starts off with they don't wipe out the Canaanites like they're supposed to and then it's this constant process of idolatry and then God delivers them and then they turn back to idolatry and then God delivers them and so on and so forth. It's all the way through Judges. Then towards the end, it gets uh, even worse when they end up turning on each other. So during the time of the Judges, that gives us the setting of when all this is taking place. Sometime during the time of the Judges, there was a famine in the land this famine was probably one of god's judgment for their idolatry and the reason i think that is because leviticus 26 18 through 20 it says but if after these things you will not obey me i will proceed to discipline you seven times for your sins i will break down your strong pride i will make your sky like iron and your land like bronze and your strength will be used up for nothing your land will not yield its produce and the trees of the land Will not bear their fruit. It says, The sky above you will be bronze, and the earth beneath you iron. And the Lord will turn the rain of your land into falling dust. It will descend on you from the sky until you are destroyed. I believe that second verse comes from Deuteronomy. So that's probably a good guess, especially since we know we just we just, you know, if you're reading the Bible the way it was canonized, the way it was brought all together, you would read the story of Judges. And so it makes sense to go ahead and assume that this famine was a cause of their idolatry. A cause of their idolatry. This natural way, a seemingly natural way, of God bringing judgment upon His people for their wrongdoing. You know, what's weird, you know, for us, it's hard for us to imagine what a famine is like. You know, I work at Dot Foods, and if you've ever seen a big warehouse <laughs> with all those groceries in it, I mean, we're talking you know, 30, 40 feet high shelves with just pallets and pallets of groceries everywhere. And trust me, I know because I stack those pallets all day. <laughs> but, you know, we always, though, you know, we, we do face times maybe. I'm sure all of us have faced certain times where, you know, money got tight and you were struggling to find food and things like that. Or maybe when you're growing up, you had a lot of siblings. I know my grandmother was like that and had a bunch of siblings and uh, some nights they weren't even sure if they were going to be able to afford food. But a famine is completely different. It's similar, but it is, it's a lot different. Because a famine, there was just no food. <laughs> There's no food being sprouted up from the ground. No rain coming down from heaven. Apparently. So probably years of inadequate rainfall. And as we will see, this famine lasted a long time because it takes... Ten years, at least, before they decide to go back to uh, Bethlehem. And Sometimes I do that, though. You know, I'll be, <laughs> me and Allie will be talking about what we're going to do for lunch or dinner or something. And I'll say, I'll say something like, uh, she'll say, well, you want to eat at the house? I say, well, there's nothing to eat at the house. <laughs> Which, if you ask Allie, you know that's not true. There's always stuff to eat at the house. <laughs> but a famine, though, where there's literally nothing to eat at the house. Obviously, they had to have something to survive, but it would have been very, very little. I'm sure they were scared. I'm sure there was a fear of death going around the people of Israel at that time when they were facing this famine. In Elimelech, and Naomi, they also had two children to take care of. But, as we're going to see, they don't turn to God. They don't turn to God it's ironic, you know, it says a man left Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem <laughs> means place of bread. Now, how ironic is that? <laughs> they, leave the, they leave this place of bread to go to a land, a pagan land, to look for food. So this house of bread, this place of bread has no food for them. So this man here, it says, A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. So the man and his family leave to go to a pagan town. (laughs) If you read Judges, uh, I I kept reading, I was studying this, I kept seeing this got a chemist, it's got a chemist. Like, where in the world are they getting this from? It's somewhere in the, I think it's Judges 18 or something like that, maybe a little earlier than that. But in Judges, I think it's 13, 13, it talks about that the the God of the Moabites was this God of Chemish, which is like the God of fish or something like that. So this pagan town. But they don't cry out to God for deliverance. They don't cry out to God for help. Rather, they turn to their pagan neighbors. So as Christians, you know, as strong Christians, you know, we start thinking, you know, how long will it take them to realize that in this situation... They should have turned to God. How long will it take them to realize that? To realize they should have turned to God. and As we'll see, Naomi is the only one that gets to face that realization that they should have turned to God. Later on in chapter 1. And then it says they went there for a while. So they probably had intentions of going back when the famine passed. As well, that's actually what they, that Naomi does after those 10 years or more. They go away for a while. Then verse 2 says, The man's name was Elimelech. So now we get the man's name, and his wife's name was Naomi. His wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. So the family was Elimelech, who was the father. whose name means my God is king. (laughs) It's ironic, especially during the time of the judges when they had no king, and they were doing whatever was right in their own eyes. But even though his name means my God is king, he doesn't put his faith in his king. And we kind of know this from, you know, Jewish custom that this decision probably rested on Elimelech. So Elimelech was the sole decision maker in going to Moab instead of waiting in Israel. Then Naomi, his wife, it's ironic here. She's kind of mentioned secondarily. But as we go through the book of Ruth, she's the, one of the primary characters. That's kind of ironic, too. Naomi and Ruth, and then Boaz. Then their son, Malon, which means to be sick, and Kileon to be finished, or to come to an end, which may be a, a play on words there to reference their deaths. They were Ephrathites, specifically from a place called Ephrathah. They were from Bethlehem, again, the place of bread, or the house of bread. Of course, we love that town, don't we? <laughs> Bethlehem. I mean, it's hard for us to ever think of Bethlehem without thinking of Jesus, without thinking of the, uh, the, the town of David, or the city of David. Then they settled in Moab. And now let's, let's talk a little bit more about these Moabites for a second. So these Israelites really like did not have a good history with the Moabites. And one of my favorite stories in Judges. Uh, because I think it's just because it's, so, it's, it's got a lot of humor in it. Uh, it's Judges chapter 3. And one of the first people that it says that uh, take over Israel. is Are the Moabites. And uh, King Eglon of Moab. He kind of rules over and, and makes them his slaves and things like that. And Ehud is raised up. God raises up Ehud to go destroy the Moabites to kill the king, and things like that. But the origins from, uh, of the Moabites comes from Lot, and it comes from his daughters, Genesis 19, where they make him drunk, and they sleep with him, and then uh, the Moab, they they begin the Moabites. So, you know, given the thoughts of The Moabites from Elimelech, from Moabites from his other uh, friends and family, I'm sure, that were in Bethlehem. Given the thoughts of it, it couldn't have been an easy decision for Elimelech to go choose to go to this town that they did not have a good history with. But I'm sure he thought, you know, I have to provide for my family. He said, I'm just going to go there. I'm not going to stay for a long time. I'm just going to stay there until the famine passes. And again, he probably, you know, he probably did have plans to go back to Bethlehem after the famine was over. Then look at verse 3. Naomi's husband Elimelech died and she was left with her two sons. So Elimelech dies and Naomi only has her two, excuse me, her two sons. At least at this point, though, Naomi still has somebody to provide for her. You know, she still has her two sons to provide for her. That was a custom and it's still kind of the custom today that the man... In in the family, the men in the family are expected to provide for the women. But her two sons are still alive. Look at verse uh, four. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. Now we finally get the character that this book is named after: is Ruth. Ruth. Well, let's think back here. You know there. That her sons take Moabite wives. Now I'm sure we can all think back, <laughs> may not be able to pinpoint the exact verse, but I'm sure we can all think back to uh, the Pentateuch, the five, first five books of the Old Testament. And remember that one of the commands from God was, "Do not let your children marry with pagans." Deuteronomy 7:3 through4, it says, "You must not intermarry with them, and you must not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons." because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods then the lord's anger will burn against you and he will swiftly destroy you you know luckily though with this relationship although it was against the commands of god luckily though ruth and possibly naomi possibly naomi don't quite fall into this category of drift taking them and dragging them away from god Matter of fact, we'll see in, in a few verses, and maybe next sermon or the sermon after that, that Ruth decides to give up her God to go worship the Israelite God. Again, we'll talk about that here in a second. Now, it's interesting, though, and, and it's not really a significant part of the story, Is that the, which one of them took which wife is not mentioned. But we know from uh, chapter 4, verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10, it says, I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, Malon's widow. So Malon took Ruth and uh, Kilion got Orpah. And then again, the verse four there. It says, after they lived in Moab about ten years. So there's that ten years that I've been talking about. They lived in Moab for at least ten years. So within these ten years, and you got to think about this. Within these ten years, Elimelech has died. Malon has died. Kilion has died. And now Ruth, Orpah, and Naomi have no one to take care of them. They have no one to take care of them. So at this point, they have nothing. Look at verse five. Both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. So here they have nothing. Specifically though, we're thinking specifically about Naomi. She has no husband. She has no son. She has no other children. No relatives that she could turn to because she was in Moab. She has nothing. So think about a time. Think about a time when you felt like you had nothing. I'm sure we've all been there. (laughs) I'm sure we've all been at a certain point where we just feel like, man, we have nothing. We've lost everything good in our lives. Or sometimes, you know, you feel like, you know, just losing something. You kind of look back and you say, well, I didn't lose everything. (laughs) But in that moment, though, that's not how we think, though, is it? So most of the time we think we've lost everything. We've lost everything. But specifically for this passage, I want us to think back before that time. Before you felt like you lost everything. Think back a little bit before that and that process you had to go through to lose everything. That process. One of, the, one of the key things, you know, when you face a trauma, mentally you're going to remember that trauma better than you're going to remember anything else. So one of, the, one of the key things I remember about my mom's death is the week that led up to her death. More so than some of the, even the older memories than that. Some of the good memories. It's the most vivid memories I have. But you think back before, you, before that time. Before that time you were in this process where you were beginning to lose everything or you were beginning to lose something that felt like you were losing everything. Which of course for those of us who have lost our mothers, we all know what that's like. But what, do we, what do we usually try to do? This is probably one of the most frustrating things when we're sitting next to someone who is dying or we're sitting next to someone who's about to take their last breath. Because one of the most frustrating things is that When something as bad is happening, when we feel like we're losing something important, we want to fix it. (laughs) We want to fix it. So if you ever faced a time when you felt like you lost everything, before that, I guarantee you that everybody in here at one point has tried to fix it themselves. The process here, you know, the process here started with a problem. The problem was the famine. The famine in the land of Israel. And they respond. They don't respond by putting their faith in God. They respond by putting their faith in themselves, putting their faith in the pagans, in the Moabites. And we think pagans, you know, uh, especially when we think other religions and things like that even today. We know, we know as Christians that behind all of these various religions that are, that are just yanking things, yanking people away from Christianity and from the truth is Satan. Satan they 'll never understand that until they uh, unless they are converted, but these pagans, these false religions out there who have Satan as their father, the New Testament tells us in, uh, in the gospels that you can only have one father, either God or Satan, but they decide that you know when this famine comes at them, they decide that I, by trusting in their own capabilities, their own intelligence. Now, if you think about it, though, if 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 we were reading this story, it sounds kind of bad to us because, you know, we're way far off. But a lot of us probably would have made the same exact decision. But but you think you, if you think about this story and just let's just say for a minute that God didn't have a part of it that this was just a story written down about some family that left the land because there was a famine. If there was no God, then their reasoning for leaving, their reasoning for leaving would be good. It would be acceptable. Because if God was not present and they're just leaving one land that didn't have food so they can go to another land that does have food. Right? If we go out to eat today to some restaurant and one of the restaurants says, actually we're out of all of our food today, we're going to go to another restaurant, right? (laughs) You see? But with God present, it changes this whole thing. changes this whole thing. So how do you respond when a problem, something like a famine, sometimes we do face some intense situations that are that feel, I'm sure feel just as brutal as a famine. When you feel like that you gotta do something, you feel like you're losing control, you feel like you're losing everything. Do you turn to God? Do you turn to God? Or do you turn to yourself, do you turn to your own reasoning, your own capabilities to do what you think is the right thing to do? Paul has a lot of talk in Romans about strong Christians versus weak Christians. Basically those who are, who are closer, who have a stronger relationship with Jesus because they give things up, certain things. Specifically Jewish rituals and Romans. But weaker Christians, weaker Christians, they put them faith, their faith in themselves. They put them faith, their, their faith in others. But the strongest Christians, The strongest Christians who I define as those who who are very close to God. Those who hide God's word in their hearts. Not that they're perfect. Not that they're perfect. But they're very close to God. They hide God's words in their heart. Those who pray without ceasing. Strong Christians like that know to always have faith in God. Always have faith in God. So when we start going under, undergoing these bad circumstances, and here specifically, I want us to focus on the process that gets us to this really bad circumstance. And we're talking about, you know, from in this passage, in these, just these five verses, and the, the time frame really slows down after this, but just these five verses we've had, we've been through 10 years of Elimelech's family's life. They, they have a famine, they move to Moab, and then Elimelech and his two sons die. But when we start undergoing these bad circumstances, don't turn to yourself. Don't turn to your own mindset. Don't turn to your own capabilities. Turn to God. Turn to the God that parted the Red Sea. Turn to the God that shows grace throughout Israel's history and throughout our lives. Turn to the God that calmed a storm by his words. Turn to a God that fed 5,000 plus people with two loaves of bread and five fish. Trust that God and not the person that's failed you so many times. You know who that person is that's failed you so many times? Yourself. Yourself. So you think about all those times you failed yourself. You compare that to all the times that God has failed you. There's a big difference there, right? especially since God's never, God never fails us. Sometimes we think he does, but he doesn't. So turn to God and he will show you what to do. Always have faith in God, even while you feel like you're losing it all. Have faith in God. Now we'll get into this more throughout the book, of course. But don't beat yourself up a whole lot though if, if well, you do like Naomi and Elimelech. You know, and, and you don't put your faith in God. You put your faith in yourself. Don't beat yourself up that much. <laughs> you know, repent of it. You know, confess it to God. Just say, God, I turn to you. Because the cool thing is, as we know, if we've read Ruth, <laughs> is that God can take any situation and bring good out of it. Probably one of the most frustrating things for Satan because Satan thinks he has us. Satan thinks he can tear us down. Satan thinks he can cause bad things to happen to us. And then God says, wait a minute. (laughs) It then shows good in some of the worst circumstances. So this morning, during our invitation, I want you to think about all the times you have lost your trust in God. Think about all those times you've lost your trust in God. And if you haven't already, repent of those times. Repent of those times. Turn to God. Trust Him fully today throughout every circumstance. And I promise you, especially reading through Scripture, it's very obvious that if you put your full trust in God, that you will never regret it. You'll never regret it. Let's pray, dear God. We thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for just giving us such a close relationship with you. We could just we could talk to you anytime. We can can confess our sins to you. We can repent of those sins. We can just grow closer and closer and closer to you. God, we thank you for being so trustworthy, so faithful to us. When you see all of our impurities, Lord, see all of our sins, all the wrong we've ever done, all the wrong that we've even done today, that you still love us, you'll still remain faithful to us, you still guide us and direct us and be there for us always. God, I just pray that you don't ever let us forget that. And God, if we do, I pray that you convict us. Chastise us if you need to. To make sure we always have our faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <coughs> Be seated. We're going to partake of our Lord's Supper. Uh, if y'all come up here. just grab <clears throat> Want Paul's for a minute and (laughs) make sure we don't do like this Corinthian church did. And they were just, they just were kind of abusing the Lord's Supper and doing different things with it. I just want to make sure we realize what we're doing today. Paul says that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. Proclaiming his death. This represents Jesus Christ. Represents Jesus Christ. And what he did for us. In order that we could be saved. In order that we could be made righteous. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us this sacrament. So We have a way to worship you and honor you. And just visualize and just see what you've done for us. God, how glorious it would be <laughs> to be there on that last Lord's Supper night and sit with you at a table. But God, for now, we just put our hope in the future feast that we will have with you and all the other fellow believers. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. <clears> oh. <throat>